I'd like to take our attention today to the book of 1 Corinthians. My apologies to Brother Tyler. I failed to get with him before service to give him these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read in the New King James Version today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we'll begin reading in verse number 20. And read through 25, 1 Corinthians 1 and 20. And while we're getting that pulled up, let me say thank you to everyone who showed up yesterday for our church cleaning day. Got a lot done in just a few hours, so thank you for your time and efforts, everyone who showed up and, and everyone who planned it and figured everything out. How many like coming into a clean church? How many like coming into a clean house? Amen. I won't ask you if your house is clean today. (laughs) But we like it nonetheless. Uh, But of course it just takes work, it takes time, it takes effort. So thank you again for your time and your effort. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20, the Bible says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For just a little while, I want to talk about the wise and the foolish. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this day and this time and these people. Lord, I ask for your blessing and your help. Give me your anointing. I pray that something said would be worth hearing and full of the Holy Ghost and full of your power. And we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. It was just a couple of weeks ago I was talking with, with Sarah and I can't remember the exact story I was sharing, something that had happened either that day or the day before, but the, the whole sentiment of my story uh, culminated in this point that I don't know how some people get out the door in the morning. They seem so ill-equipped for the day. They seem so clueless as to what is going on around them what is happening either in the world at large or in particular really what's going on right in front of them. 
And I may have said something to the effect that, you know, some, some sentence may have had the word stupid or ignorant or moron in it. I'm, I don't know. It's possible. And how it seemed to be an increasing phenomenon, either that or I'm simply a magnet to it. But, but, I have good news. It's not good news. Uh, that's not the right way to say it. It's not good news. It just lets me know that my suspicions have been verified and Northwestern University has now published a study that, that for the first time in almost 100 years, in about 90 years, the first time we are now dumber than the generation before. For the first time in almost 100 years, our IQ in America is going down. Wow. Now, I know what you are thinking. Well, yeah, you know, because of the pandemic, the kids had to stay home from school. Everyone got set back. We've been just sitting around doing nothing. We're coming out of that or mostly out of that, and we're, we're, we're going to pick it back up. But would it shock you to know that their study was conducted from 2006 into 2018? but they're just now publishing it. So as dumb as we were those 10 years, 12 years, we are now probably going to be even dumber on average. Not to, that I'm saying any of you precious people are below average or, or subpar in intelligence quotient. You are all brilliant. But, you know, the next time that gentleman or gentlewoman cuts in front of you, on the highway, or even more rudely in the supermarket, nearly knocking you over. You can now know they're just dumb. Poor soul. And you can pray for them, or as they do in the South, just say, well, bless their little heart. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, it's probably not shocking to hear that it's been verified in a scientific study. Uh, perhaps there's a lot of things we could point to that, that are causes. I remember saying many years ago, talking about our educational program, and, and I say many years ago, I do mean many, more than 10 probably now, how that if you're changing what is taught in the classroom, you know, you've only got, what, about 180 days, I think, they go to school, that our, our kids go to school each year. If, if you are going to start introducing new things, that means you're taking other things out, right? So if you're introducing, well, nowadays, things uh, like diversity, equity, and inclusion, and transgender uh, policies, and this, that, and the other, you're going to be taking out something, because there's only so many hours in the day, right? And so... 
What's the first thing to go? Maybe it's the midnight ride of Paul Revere goes. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, maybe some other thing in history. But soon it's going to get its way into English and people are going to stop learning, uh, you know, at least an hour or so on, on punctuation. And, and if you keep adding things, then you're going to have to start taking out uh, how to multiply polynomials or, or, or binomials or whatever. And it's going to affect, it's going to affect the world if you change what you are teaching. And that seems probably simple enough to understand and obvious. And then, of course, that's all besides the machines that we are glued to. And if you allow your children to be parented, babysat, instructed by the smartphone, the tablet, etc., there's going to be a cost. I'll say that one more time. There's going to be a cost. Amen? Amen. You will lose something. You will lose something. Well, they'll, they'll know how to touch that screen faster than the next kid. They'll know how to text better than the next kid. But can they talk? Can they communicate? Do they know how to deal with confrontation? Do they know how to deal with it when the preacher gets on a rant? Or will it make them so uncomfortable that they hide under their pew? Amen. Yes, we think ourselves wise. We think ourselves smart in an information age, in an age of technology. And in fact, there is perhaps even some prophecy that lets us know towards the end that knowledge would be increased. But that does not necessarily mean that wisdom is increased just because a knowledge base or a store of knowledge is increased. Just because we have cataloged and collated information does not mean that we know what to do with the information. If you would consider a couple of famous blunders from some of the wiser people in the business world. Anyone here still have a Kodak camera, a Polaroid? Perhaps. You know, a, a Kodak was, was, you know, the, the brand when it came to getting photographs, right? Take it on film. If you had a Polaroid, you could get it right then and there. But it was, it was developed in that physical format, wasn't it? For a very long time. For a very long time. Until in the 70s, someone that was working, funnily enough, at Kodak began to realize, you know, we could do things a little different. And he developed the, the infancy stages of the digital camera. Now, I, I, it probably isn't anywhere close to what we have today. But, you know, the people at Kodak said, you know, this is probably a good idea. But too many of the people in that C-suite began to say, you know, I don't think people are going to want to get away from that physical copy. So they kind of shelved the idea. And by the time the 90s rolled around, it had passed them by. Because, after all, who would want a digital camera? And now we carry it around on our phone. It's just an ancillary piece of the technology. Blockbuster video. You guys remember Blockbuster? Way back when? In the long, long ago? Netflix came to them 
in 2000. They wanted to, to sell their idea, basically, to help Blockbuster into this new age. They were laughed out of the room at the request of $50 million. They wanted $50 million. It's a lot of money, but in big business world, it's not that much, even in, 20, in 2000. Ten years later, Blockbuster filed for bankruptcy. And 20 years later, that $50 million they requested can be compared in 2020 to the $194 billion Netflix was worth. That's the wisdom of the world making decisions. Western Union, we use it today to send money quickly or do a payday cash advance maybe. Once upon a time, they were the leaders in sending a message across the country through Morse code. They kind of thought Alexander Graham Bell's telephone was a dumb idea. Bell asked them for $100,000. Sure, in the 19th century, that was quite a bit of money. $100,000. They said, no, we'll pass. Why would anyone want to talk on the telephone? Again, just an ancillary piece to the technology that you carry in your pocket today. I mean, I know we call it a smartphone, but we, most of us don't spend most of the time when we're using it talking on the phone. The wisdom of the world, folks. The wisdom of the world. Anyone here have a Facebook account? Even if you don't like it, you may have it. Because there's that like one little piece of your life that it's, it's useful for. You know, before there was a Facebook, there was a, a thing called MySpace. And, uh, uh, I, I mean, it was really popular, actually, when it first came out. Until Facebook was a, a competitor, it was really, really popular. But whatever happened to MySpace... In 2005, MySpace was bought by Rupert Murdoch, one of the wealthiest men in the world, owns News Corp, owns businesses on both sides of the Atlantic. He bought it in 2005 for $580 million, half a billion. Six years later, he had to sell it for $35 million. He took a bath of over $500 million dollars. Because he bought it and started putting ads all over it. Selling any space that you didn't have already taken up was a, a commercial ad. So people, people went, you know, this is my space. It's not your space. So they went to Facebook, and now we have the same problem anyway. But that's the wisdom of the world, folks. Wisdom that looks out and says, yeah, I know what is best. This is what we ought to do. Well, there's one thing for sure. If you live life long enough, you don't know what is around the corner. You don't know what is coming your way. Bishop shared my blunder of the last couple of weeks in that I left on his fireplace that burns 
natural gas, thinking, well, there shouldn't be a problem because it's natural gas. It doesn't produce the smoke that burning logs does. Well, not the same amount, but apparently it does produce quite a bit of smoke unless it's uh, a particular type of burner. It will just slowly fill the house with that smoke. And Maverick came back from his vacation and about passed out from how hot the house was, I guess. And it was filled. I mean, you know, I deliberately made sure the flue was closed. Because after all, I don't want the heat going outside. Wisdom. Wisdom, folks. Wisdom. On display. But the Bible lets us know that even the foolishness of God, if there is such a thing, is wiser than any man. The weakness of God, if there is such a thing, is stronger than any man. How do we measure wisdom and how do we measure foolishness? When we think about preachers in any age, it wouldn't take long reading sermons or observing sermons to say, well, that is really silly. Or why did they say it that way? Or do they even know what they are talking about? Yet through the power of God, God. It's not the foolish things that the preacher says. It's that through that message that he preaches, God takes insufficient words. He takes insufficient men and women. He takes people full of faults and failures and he cleans it up anyway and it can still penetrate into the hearts of men. This message of salvation. And what a miraculous thing to observe that, that beyond all of our foolishness in, in, in whatever way that we try to minister, God can bless it. God does not bless a ministry because of the person. He blesses it in spite of the person. He does not help you because you are righteous. He helps you despite the fact that you are not righteous. He does not forgive you because you've earned it. He forgives you despite the fact that you never could earn it. The wisdom of the world can also be seen sometimes in the wisdom of the Scripture. Jacob won a birthright with a bowl of soup. How does that work out? You know, the Bible says that Esau was a man in the fields. He was hairy. He was, he was uh, rugged. He was, uh, he was a man's man. He comes home to his soft brother. His homebody brother. And says, I am so hungry. Give me some of that soup, bro. And Jacob says, well, I'll give it to you for your, for your birthright. Now, I don't get this story. I never have. I've shared this before. Why wouldn't the big burly brother who had been in the field and probably smelled like a barnyard just came over and, and rubbed his armpit in his face and said, get away from the pot, it's mine. I mean, if, any, if, okay. if any of you who have had boys, you ought to be able to say amen that this is the kind of thing that would probably happen. Sibling rivalry between, right? 
The big brother would just come, knock the little brother out of the way, and take the bowl of soup. But, but somehow, Esau's like, ah, I'm at the point of death. Now, do you believe that for one second? That he was literally at the point of death. He couldn't even lift a hand to put the soup in his mouth. I don't believe that for a second. But it was enough. The foolishness of this world, right, or the the wisdom of this world, it's confounded by even the foolishness of God. And so he says, fine, take my birthright. Just give me that bowl of soup. I've never had a meal so good. I've, I've never had a meal so good that I would sell my inheritance for it, folks. David, a little shepherd boy, decides to fight a giant with a sling and a stone. Well, don't you want my armor, says the king? Don't you want some protection, says the wise? Don't you need some help on the battlefield? Well, I know I've been on a kick for a few weeks about trusting in the Lord in my messages, but I just want to say it one more time. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we need to trust in the name of the Lord our God. David was able to look at the king and say, you know, I understand why you want me to wear the armor, but I was watching the sheep one day and a wolf came up and the power of the Lord came upon me. I grabbed that wolf. There was another day a lion came to eat up the, the sheep And I grabbed that lion by his beard and I beat the the snot out of him and I killed him with my own two hands. If I'm going to survive on the battlefield, it won't be because of my armaments. It won't be because I have better equipment. It won't be because I have better weaponry. It will be because I approach the enemy in the name of the Lord my God. And therein is that great wisdom How else could we explain that Jericho fell to Joshua with just a -a walkathon and a trumpet? There's no scientific rationale there. Did they make the foundation weak because they walked around? No. It was the power of God. Gideon defied uh, the nation of Midian uh, with not but 300 men. And some fancy tactics that God showed him. Just get, just get loud enough and people will get scared. It's basic. I, I mean, I, I'm giving you the really abridged version of it. But, but Gideon, if, you just, if it's dark and you get loud enough, people will run away. Light the forest on fire and scream a lot. And you will scare the enemy away. You know, that's what... What these fools are doing in politics all around the nation. They have a little pet project. They have a little issue. They have a little bit of, oh, it's fine to molest and manipulate the minds of our children or even to mutilate their bodies. And if you don't like it, they'll light the forest on fire and scream. So that you say, oh, okay, okay, okay. I I don't want to fight. I mean, after all, I'm a Christian. I love you. You love me. We're a messed up family. But 
But can I tell you, in our, in our eagerness to get along, we're failing the word of God. Because there's not one bone in my body that thinks Jesus would have abided that. I, I don't think Jesus walking around Galilee would have been like, oh, it's okay that they're mutilating the children. He wouldn't abide money changers in the temple, folks. I wish I had a witness right now. Come on now. I I don't think Jesus is in the business of abiding and accommodating our sin. Jesus is in the business of forgiving us our sins. But part of activating that forgiveness is that we confess our sins. That we realize it's shameful. That we realize sin is evil. That we realize there's a difference between righteous living, righteous behavior. And just what we want to do. It's the competing ideas of the wisdom of the world. And I could say the wisdom of God. But as Paul wrote it here, even the wisdom of the world cannot compete with the foolishness of God. It's the wisdom of the world competing with the foolishness of God. What greater example can we give than Christ himself? King of kings, we call him. And that, of course, is what his sign above the cross said. King of the Jews. It offended the Jews. And they said, no, no, you've got to change the sign. Don't say that he he is the king of the Jews. Say that... He said he was the king of the Jews. The Romans said, eh, what's done is done. How does this conquer? But he wasn't here to conquer lands. He didn't come to conquer kingdoms. He didn't come to steal uh, uh, embattlements. and He didn't come to, to steal uh, 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 fortresses. He didn't come to steal wealth. He came to steal hearts. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came for you. He came for your children. Not to oppress them, but to deliver them. And in that act of Calvary, he conquers death, hell, and the grave. This is one of the reasons the Jews can still not abide the idea that Jesus was Messiah. They expected him to come with a cavalcade of royalty riding upon the grandest beasts, but instead he settled for the lonely donkey. Oh, we ought to cast the most valuable of flowers before him to walk. But no, he, it sufficed the jackets of those who loved him when he came into the city. It's foolish to the world As Paul writes it here, he says, you know, it's a stumbling block to the Jews because it's not what they were expecting. And it's foolishness to the Greeks 
He's in part, at least in part, talking about the philosophers of ancient Greece. You know, those who followed Socrates, those who followed Plato, those who were uh, of different schools of learning, whether they grew up under Aristotle, Stoics, whatever the case may have been, seeking out what? Seeking out wisdom, how to view the world, how to understand the world. And even if there is a God for those philosophers, what is his place in all of this? How do we know him? How do we understand him? It's foolishness to them. They can't grab a hold of it. They can't wrap their minds around it because they had yet to understand the words that John wrote. In the beginning was the word, the logos, that thing that you're looking for Greek philosophers, that mystery piece of the universe, that uncaused cause, that, that mind of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, and that Word was made flesh. It dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth foolishness to the philosopher, but true nonetheless. Foolishness to those who have spent centuries searching, but somehow never searching in the right place and not understanding it's all in him. Can I say that one more time? It's all in Him. It's all in Him. If you're looking for another Messiah, you're going to be disappointed. If you're looking for another one to come, you're going to be misled. You're going to be manipulated. You know, major religions of this world are almost begging for an antichrist figure to come. Many in Islam are looking for the 12th imam, the, the next one to come, the, the one that's going to bring them into a new age. The Jews still look for the Messiah to come. Many are looking for a figure. Why? Why? Because, you know, we have exhausted, we have exhausted just about all the knowledge that we can accumulate. Our IQ is actually going down. We've exhausted philosophy. We've exhausted religion. We've exhausted ideas. We've exhausted music. We are now exhausting technology. I don't, I don't know if there is another thing for us to exhaust. I, I don't know if after technology... It's probably the last frontier that humanity can exhaust before God comes back. I'm not trying to say he's coming back at any particular time. I don't know how long that will take. But it's as if those religions and if those, as if those schools of thought are, are begging to be deceived. When someone steps on the stage and says, ah, I've got the answer. how readily they may file in behind them. 
and commit atrocities and live a lie. And take rather the delusion, the delusion of men's wisdom rather than the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The wise and the foolish. Would you stand to your feet and raise your hands towards heaven and just begin to speak to the Lord for a minute today. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we need you. How we need you, oh God. Not so that we can grow in acclaim or in affluence, but that we might grow in wisdom, the wisdom of your word, the wisdom of your spirit. Teach us God, teach us God, teach us God. Truth. Teach us, Lord, fruit of your spirit. Teach us patience. Teach us, God, to endure to the end. Help us lean upon you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. things that I once knew 
memories keep drawing me I must confess Lord I've been blessed still my soul's not satisfied oh renew my faith restore Dry my weeping eyes and take me back, take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back, take me back, dear Lord. Bible records him as being the wisest man on earth. But even man's wisdom given by God is foolishness. Because the wisest man on earth didn't understand what sin fully was. The wisest man on earth wrote uh, book of Proverbs, a lot of the book of Proverbs, giving us great wisdoms. Still had family issues. Still had sin in his family. Still had sin in his life. The wisest man. The wisest man. But oh, compare that wisest man to just the foolishness of God. And there is no comparison. There is no comparison. Oh, I thank God for, for showing me His wisdom. And we, we, I, I've heard it said so many times that need to have common sense. And in this world, common sense isn't so common anymore. Well, I, can, I can point you to some wisdom that is above all. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given us, Lord. 
Again, I ask that you write this word upon our hearts. Lord, that we may not easily forget, forget it. Lord, that it would go with us. Lord, that it would spring out from us. In Jesus' name, be with us this week. Protect us. Lead us, guide us, Lord, as we try to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.